It's amazing to see what God's doing. You know, it's funny. Some of the story we just heard from Abraham, it sounds very first century, doesn't it? I mean, when you read the book of Acts and you start seeing how the gospel was spread and the obstacles they dealt with and everything, it's, it's a total reflection of what we just heard here. And we have the privilege as a church family to get in behind this work. Uh, I've told many people, this is the best money we spend as a church there in Nepal to support this type of ministry. And, and our church, we really have tried to be gracious to this ministry, not only as a church family, but many of you as individuals have given to this ministry. And uh, I just also want to thank you as a pastor of a church that has a heart for Nepal. I thank you for that. Now, let me just say this. While we as a church, we try to underwrite most of Abraham and Connell's living expenses, we, we we really attempt to try to underwrite most of that. Uh, they still have needs, acts of love, and, and all the different ministries there, the hospital ministry. There's actually, I think, a couple people that receive a salary uh, connected to that ministry. And we've had a businessman get in behind it this first year, but there are other years to come, and there's more ministries that continues to expand. And if you'd like to help them, uh, all you have to do, we send money once a month to the ministry. Not only what the church does, but what other individuals give. You're welcomed on the missions line of the offering envelope. Just put in the Paul. It will get to where it needs to go. And if you have a special place you'd like for it to go there, just earmark that, and we'll send that message on to Abraham about how that is to be spent. So we invite you also as individuals to be a part of this dynamic ministry. All right. Thank you so much, Abraham. Thank you for being here with us this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 4. Now, this is going to be a hard act to follow. Um, I wish I had the charisma that Abraham has, but I don't, okay? I've been gifted in other ways. But anyway, uh, we'll, we'll give a go at this. We're continuing the series, The Afterlife. And as we said last week, some polls reveal, now this will blow you away here in America, some polls reveal that only two-thirds of Americans believe in a biblical afterlife. Only two-thirds. That, that is down almost 20% from just 10 years ago. Do you see how fast things are moving? And so we see that. So, so the chapters we're going to be looking at today appear to be the present reality of the happenings in heaven. The present reality of the happenings in heaven. Now, let me just say this. I think many of you have probably read books, seen movies of those who believe that they've been called away or had visions of heaven. Listen, I don't have any problems with those uh, visions that people have as long as they are of biblical descent, as long as they don't contradict the words that we find in God's word as it relates to this place called heaven. So look at the introduction there on your outline. In these chapters, the scene is in heaven at the throne of God. Now, the throne of God is a central part of the universe. It is a central part of the universe. Now, what I want to do this morning as quickly as we can is I want us to look at the beings of heaven that are surrounding the throne of God because there's a lot of mystery as it associates there in Revelations chapters 4 and 5. So the first thing I want you to see on your outline is the vision of the throne, the vision of the throne. Now, what's unique about this throne is that Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, and even King David all talk about this very throne. So if you want other clues as to what this throne looks like, you can find it in their writings as it relates to the Old Testament. 
And the first thing I want you to see is the summons from the throne. In Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 1. John writes, After these things I, who is John, looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, John, many of you know, this is the disciple John who would later become the apostle John. And John has been banned to the Isle of Patmos. We believe that's where he received these visions. And so he's there on this island. He's been banned by the government to to not spread the gospel any longer, but he's been banned there. We believe he's a a man probably in his late 80s or possibly in his 90s at this time when he writes this. Some people believe that he actually wrote the book of Revelation before he wrote the gospel of John. And so there, there he is, and he's receiving this vision, a vision of heaven. The second part of verse 1 says, And the voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, here's what's interesting about the terminology of, of the book of Revelation. Over and over again, you're going to hear him say, Like a trumpet, or like this, or like that. Again, John is trying to describe something that's out of this world to us who are in this world. And so he's trying to make a connection as to what all this looks like. Now, look on your outline. We see the picture of the throne. In Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 2. He says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And so he's seeing this vision and there's a throne there and there's actually someone sitting on the throne. How many of you are glad that someone is sitting on the throne of heaven today? When you look at a world that we live in and we see all the chaos, doesn't it, isn't it a healthy reminder that someone is still on the throne. And it says in verse 3, And he who sat there was like, there it is again, a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. Skip down to verse 6. Behold, the throne there was a sea of glass, and here it is, like crystal. So look at the several things that we see about this throne. If you look on your outline, first of all, we see jasper. It's a clear stone. It's a clear stone as it's related here in Scripture. It represents purity. How many of you are aware that the throne of God is pure? It's pure. You know why we know it's pure? Because all the beings around the throne are crying out, holy, holy, holy. It is a pure throne, one that is not defiled. A second thing we see there is sardius. It is a red stone. And many people believe it represents judgment. And the reason we believe that is because what is to follow after these scenes. Now, here's what's interesting about both of these stones. Both of these stones, if you were to go back and study the Old Testament, were found on the breastplate of the high priest. Both of these stones are represented there, one of purity and also one of of judgment. Next, we see an emerald rainbow. And, of course, rainbows in Scripture represent a covenant, a covenant. It's a rainbow, and what appears to be about this rainbow, it's a rainbow with the primary color being green. Now, the picture here is a rainbow which encircled the throne. And many people believe this is a reference. When it says it's encircled, it is a circle rainbow. You ever seen a circle rainbow? They tell me if you take a flight and you look down into a storm, sometimes you'll see the circle rainbow. But most of the time here on earth, what would we see? We see just the ark, but we see a circle. Many people believe that represents an eternal covenant, an eternal covenant. Next, 
We see the picture of, thro- of the throne, the crystal sea, it representing cleansing, cleansing. Now, possibly, here's what we need to understand about this sea. Possibly at the base of the throne was a vast pavement of glass or the clear gold mentioned possibly in chapter 21 where it talks about this, uh, uh, almost the whole idea of the streets of gold or the areas of gold. Some have suggested that it may represent the laver uh, in the temple, which was used to cleanse the priests before they went into the Holy of Holies. And so you, you see a picture of as you approach this throne, what appears to have to take place. You've got to be cleansed before you can approach this throne. Next, we see the judgment of the throne. Revelation chapter 4, look at verse 5. And from the throne proceeded, proceeded lightnings, thunders, thunderings, and voices. Now, here's what it appears. Think about this. It appears that a storm seems to be brewing. The rumblings of a coming judgment. Now, most of you have already studied the whole book of Revelation. You know that in chapters 4 and 5, we have visions of the throne. You know that in chapter 6, all of a sudden, we're taking off, and there's judgment being handed down to the inhabitants of earth. And so we see that this is a a coming judgment, a coming storm. The Bible says in verse 5, it says, Seven lamps of fire were, were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, seven. Here's what you need to understand about numbers in Scripture, especially in the book of Revelation. Numbers are most of the time seen as symbolisms. So you see these symbols here. So seven, many of you probably know this, equals the completeness of the Holy Spirit in this context. It speaks of completeness. Torches, as we see here, these lamps of fire, torches many times in the ancient world were associated with a coming war. And of course we know, based on the way John is writing this, that there is a coming war, a coming judgment in which God, listen, will declare war on evil. That is what appears to be happening here at this throne. The second thing I want you to see are the visions of the beings. There are beings around this throne, and there's a lot of mystery as it associates with these beings. But these beings are around the throne. And the first group I want you to look at are the 24 elders. The 24 elders. Look at verse chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. Now, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now think about this. This is a scene of worship. Let me ask you something. Do you think God inhabits worship from those that he creates? Most definitely. Matter of fact, 24-7, around the clock, God is being worshiped on the throne. There's a worship service always going on as it relates to the universe. We just chose uh, uh, gathering here together to be a part of that worship that goes on 24-7. And so who are they? Who are these people? The thrones, their thrones tell us that they are ruling with Christ or they're ruling with God. But who are the elders? They are not angels. You know why we know they're not angels? Because nowhere in Scripture do we read that angels will rule. 
Elders always, as it relates to these 24, refer to men, not angels. It says that they're clothed in white. It normally means that they have the righteousness of Christ. It's, it's what we have come to discover as the dress of the believers. When you start reading about end-time prophecies and you see those who are there who are clothed in white, it is most of the time, if not all the time, a reference to believers who have been washed in the blood of Jesus. It is a picture of holiness. It's a picture of righteousness. Now, here's something else we notice. They are wearing crowns that tell us that they must be human because angels are never given crowns. You don't find that anywhere in Scripture. So who could they be? Well, look on your outline. They could be the 12 tribes of Israel and 12 <clears throat> apostles of the church. There are many who write on this subject who say that these 24 represent the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, last week, we saw that there's something maybe to this. Because the 12 tribes, do you remember that they were named for each gate that went into the holy city? Do you remember that? Not only that, there's 12 layers to the foundation of that city. And those layers represent the apostles. Now think about this. Who is the one writing this? The apostle John. If it is the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel who are represented there, who would John literally be seeing on one of those thrones? He would be seeing himself. Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Well, some people believe that that's possibly who these guys are. Or it could be that the 24 elders could represent a larger group of people. 24 in Scripture, again, some, some numbers, and it seems to be in this case, represent completion. So could they be, look on your outline, 12, 24 rulers or priests of the universe? Could it be a group of people we have never heard of before? Now, God has allowed people to represent others all through Scripture. There's someone who represents maybe the whole, okay? I personally believe that they represent all, this is me, the 24 elders. This is something, me personally, I look at that. I think it's a picture of completeness, but I think it represents all who have been redeemed. That, that's just me. I don't think it necessarily represents 12 apostles or 12 um, uh, tribes of Israel, Many people believe, including myself, I believe this is a reference to the redeemed saints of the Old Testament and the New Testament. They are representations. You know why? Because the Bible says we're going to rule and reign with him. Now think about the thrones that are gathered there. They're thrones. It implies those who reign. Next, we see the visions of the beings. Here's another group, the four living creatures. Now, these guys are very mysterious, but we find them in the Old Testament, and we find them in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 4, look at the second part of verse 6. And in the midst of the, of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and back. Now, how many of you would love to run up on one of these guys in, in the middle of the night? Probably not. This probably would have terrified you. But this is someone. Then here's what it means when it says they were around the throne and in the midst of the throne. It means that possibly they were flying around the throne of God. When it says they had eyes in the front and back, it does not mean that they were omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. That is only attributed to deity in Scripture. 
Okay, but it could mean that they were meet, that they were fully aware and alert of the happenings that were happening around the throne. So look at verse seven. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third was that of a man, or the face that had a face of a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, in each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Again, this is another aspect of worship that's going on around the throne. Now, they, these four appear to be the closest to the throne itself. They seem to be an exalted order of angel known as cherubim. Cherubim. They seem, as it says, it says, when it says they were in the midst of the throne and around the throne, they seem to be moving around the throne. Now, if you want to see another picture of them, you can write down these verses. They're found in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, or Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 4 through 25, if you want to do a study on your own. They, they're, they're not only mentioned here, they're mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, who are they? Well, the four, four creatures could represent, many people believe this, the four testimonies of Jesus Christ. The four testimonies of Jesus Christ that we know of from the written word would have been what? The four gospels. So there's many people who say that possibly these are a representation of the four gospels. So look on your outline. The likeness, we have the lion there, could refer to the gospel of Matthew. It could speak of the strength uh, of the holy one on the throne. The second we see is the calf. We see that that possibly is a reference to the gospel of Mark. And Mark wrote from the whole idea of service. Jesus described himself as the son of man over and over again. We find that primarily in the gospel of Mark. Man could be the gospel of Luke. And it's a whole idea of reason. The eagle could be a gospel representation of the gospel of John. We see all these here. Now, I don't know. I don't personally know what it is. The only thing that I know is, is this. Most scholars believe they're a representation of something. Some would go as far as say they're a representation of all the created beings of earth. Domesticated animals, uh, wild animals, human beings, and the whole thing. And so there's a lot of mystery su uh, suggested around them. Look at the last part of verse 8. And they do not rest day or night saying... Holy, holy, holy. It's the acknowledgement that something before them is holy, meaning it's not defiled. It's not blemished in any way. It is exact perfection. And that seems to be what they're looking upon. And then they say, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. When Moses is standing at the burning bush, he asked, Who should I tell Pharaoh has sent me? What did he say? He said, I am. Can I give you the definition of I am? The definition of I am is this. Who was and is and is to come. That is the definition. That's the, the perfect picture. Now think about that. For eternity, that is the worship. How is God? How is the one on the throne being, being recognized as the one who is and is and is to come? It, it, he's basically saying he transcends time, has no beginning and no end. He's being worshipped for that. Next, another vision. We see the millions of angels. Millions of angels are around this throne. <clears throat> now, angels are mentioned 
273 times in Scripture. <coughs> in 34 of the 66 books of the Bible, I'm sorry. Can you hand me that water, please? <coughs> I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. We'll cut this off the Internet if that's okay. So anyway, <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been battling this cold. Now, angels are mentioned 34 of the six, in 34 of the, 30, of the 66 books of the Bible. Now, if you'll skip down to, to verse 11 of chapter 5, John says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. Now, let me just tell you, can I give you a translation of what this is? A lot. A lot. Now, many people believe, and if you go back and study it, that's kind of what you get. In the Greek language, the highest number that they had that they could, ver that they could actually say was 10,000. And so there were 10,000 of 10,000s and thousands of thousands. He's basically saying, I can't count them all. That's how many are there. And they were saying with a loud voice, here's their worship. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now, let me say this about angels. Did you know a lot of people, they really don't have a clue about angels? Out of all the beings that are found in Scripture, there's probably more talk about angels than any other being mentioned in Scripture. And most of what we find outside of Scripture is just wrong about angels. <laughs> I mean, we don't, I mean, if you say, okay, the Word of God is the book, it's the book I trust, it's the book I'm building my life upon, it's the book I believe. Let me tell you some things about angels that we believe they're wrong. Can I give you some things here? True or false? Listen to this. It is okay to worship angels because they are higher, they are higher rank than human beings. <laughs> Matter of fact, two, <clears throat> two times in, in the book of Revelation, John gets so caught up in his visions, he starts to bow down and worship an angel. You know what the angel says? Don't do that. Basically, if you want to paraphrase, that's what he says. Here's another one. The phrase guardian angels in the Bible. It's not there. It's amazing what we attach to, to angels. There's evidence in the Bible that angels are females because we have all the figurines, and they surely they must be females. We, we, don't, we don't find that they're females in Scripture. When a person dies, he or she will become an angel. Totally false. Sorry. I really, I know a lot of people are well-meaning, and I, I, but it's amazing how often you hear they become angels. They don't. It's a whole different created order. You have angels and you have human beings. We don't transcend to be angels. Here's another one. There is no way angels can be in this room. False. They very well could be in this room. Matter of fact, I'd like to, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. I'd like to think that they're protecting us in this room. I like to think that way anyway. All right, let's move on. So what's the truth about angels? Number one, their origin. They were created. They were created. They've not always existed. They were created before the earth. We do know that. But they were there before the earth was created. But <clears throat> there was a point which, in which they did not exist. How about their nature? Angels have personalities. Did you know that? They're not just some life force out there. They have a personality. They have intelligence. That's the first thing on your outline. They have intelligence. 
Uh, the Bible tells us they have a desire to learn more about the salvation that's been given to man. They perceive the purposes of men on occasion. Next, they have emotions. They have a deep sense of awe and reverence. They rejoice. Did you know the Bible says they rejoice when a sinner repents? When someone comes to know Christ, they rejoice. Next, they have a will. You know how we know to have a will? Because a third of them chose to rebel against God. And they're given a will. Y'all, they have personalities. Next, their activities. They're worshipers. We saw that in Revelation 5. We see it in Isaiah 6. They minister. Did you know they minister? Jesus is fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He's on the Mount of Temptations. The enemy comes at him. Remember the whole story? <clears throat> when the enemy leaves, guess who shows up? The Bible says angels came and ministered to him. He was completely exhausted. Garden of Gethsemane, he's there. You remember what took place there, right? Into that, guess who shows up? Angels come to minister to Jesus. How about this? Angels are messengers. Messengers. Do you know who the, what we believe is a messenger angel? Gabriel. He came to announce the birth of Christ. He told the shepherds probably that where to find them. <clears throat> Next, we see the angels are protectors. Protectors are, are protector. <clears throat> they literally, one went to tell Joseph to get Jesus out of town because someone was coming to kill him when he was a boy. <clears throat> Here's another one. Jesus claimed that when the religious leaders were coming in to arrest him, to kill him, he basically looked at those around him and said, did you know that I can call 12,000 legions of angels to come and rescue me through this? How about this? They're executors. Between Revelation 6 and, from Revelation chapter 6 and Revelation 16, between there, you know what you're going to find over and over again? Angels executing judgment at the will of of the, the one who sits on the throne. Next, the visions of beings around the throne. The one weeping man. You know who the weeping man was? It was John. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written on the inside and back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll to look at it. John said, I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Now think about that. What do you think that means? Some people have said this. John's tears represent the tears of all God's people through the centuries. His tears are tears of Adam and Eve who stood there over their son's grave because sin had entered the world through them. Uh, the, they're, they're, uh, <clears throat> the tears are a picture of those who have toiled the land and those who have suffered. The tears are the children, or maybe the tears of the children of Israel who were in bondage as they cried out to God in their affliction and slavery. They are the tears of regret, of sorrow, of pain and suffering, of disappointment, and of lost hope. Basically, what John saw that day, he knew something had to be resolved. He wanted evil to be taken out. And so these tears, however, which lead us to hope, which look on your outline, which leads us to the most important being around the throne, the one worthy lamb. His name is Jesus. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5 says this. But one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, <clears throat> the root of David, 
reference to the Messiah. Here's the good news. Has prevailed. Some of your translation says has overcome. What did he overcome? This lamb defeated sin. He defeated death and the forces of evil. He's the one who's going to open this up to get it started. He's the one that's going to justify and put things right. And it says, He has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of four living creatures, in the midst of the elders to the Lamb, as though it had been slain. Picture of resurrect of Jesus being beaten. Having seven horns. This horn had seven horns. It means he had complete power. Seven eyes. Had complete understanding and knowledge. Which are the seven spirits of God. The fullness of God. Sent out over all the earth. Then he came... And took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Y'all, Jesus was the only hope. John looked around heaven and saw this glorious picture. The one on the throne, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the millions and millions of angels. And yet something was still incomplete about that scene. Because man's need had not been taken care of yet. And then all of a sudden, out of the corner of, eye, out of the corner of his eye, guess what he saw? He saw this lamb who had been slain. This is the one that's going to fix things. His name, of course, was Jesus. Did you know when he entered center stage and he basically took the scroll and did what he did, did you know that worship just went out everywhere? There was a moment of silence, and all of a sudden, worship started back, probably stronger than it had ever been in heaven, over this one called Jesus. So here's the application this morning. Are you assured of your place in heaven? Y'all, let me just say this. Only two-thirds of the American population believes in a biblical afterlife. It doesn't matter what kind of poll you have. It doesn't matter what you believe, what I believe. It's only what God's word says. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced of it. And I'm here to tell you, and I want to ask are you assured of this place called heaven? John, who wrote the book of Revelation, also wrote 1 John 5, 13. Here's what he said. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know that you have an afterlife. Let me just say this as we close. Everyone's, everyone has an afterlife. Did you know that? It's just a matter of whether you're going to be in heaven with Jesus or condemned to eternal hell. But we all have an afterlife. And we all have been given the invitation as to which one will we choose. And the only way heaven is a reality is through Jesus. He said it himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No one comes to this throne except by me. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we just come to you right now, and we just thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we know that uh, there's so many things in life that seem to be messed up. There's so many things in our world that we don't understand. But Father, we thank you that there's one who sits on the throne. Father, not only is there one who sits on the throne, but there's another that's there gathered around the throne that has made provision for us as sinners that we can come to know you as our Lord and Savior, that we can come to know you in a fresh way, that death and sin and all those things can be defeated, that if we just follow Jesus. 
Father, I just pray that you work in our life in that. Lord, if there's someone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray today be the day that they'll come and give their life to you, Father. Maybe they've never made a decision to follow you. I pray today that they would. Father, that maybe before they leave this room, that they pull a pastor aside, myself or Jonathan or, or someone here that can lead them to, to, to find everlasting life. Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll just work in our hearts. Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. I, I ask the ushers to come forward if they will. Father, we also thank you for this offering, and we thank you for the ability to give because you've blessed us to give to works like Abraham and Kamala, to, to give to the, to the workings of this community in which we're trying to reach. But, Father, give us always a heart to give. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.